From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, IOL selection for patients with irregular corneas at ASCRS. If there is some regularity and there's some symmetry, then you can correct to some extent. This is not perfect. First this. Want to learn about MACRA, MIPS, and running an excellent and efficient ophthalmology practice? You'll love iTalks Radio, the official podcast of the American Society of Ophthalmic Administrators. Let's get right down to the basics of MACRA. For those of you who are not familiar with this law, what is MACRA? MACRA does stand for the Medicare Access and CHIP Reauthorization Act. iTalks Radio brings to ASCRS members, ASOA members, and even non-members practical information on human resources, government regulatory compliance, middle management, and productivity. Indulge at italksradio.org. That's E-Y-E-T-A-L-K-S radio.org. Italks Radio, the yang to my yin. I had the opportunity to interview a number of people advancing the forefront of ophthalmology during the 2017 Annual Symposium in Congress of the ASCRS in Los Angeles. Edited versions of these interviews are presented on the iWorld Replay website as brief videos. I'm going to present these interviews in their entirety over a number of podcasts. Today, we hear from Ehud Asia and Jeffrey Whitman, discussing appropriate IOL selection for patients with irregular corneas. I'm here with Ehud Asia. You, you, you gave a, a, a wonderful, wonderful talk on one of those topics that really seems simple, but once you get a closer look at it, it's just unbelievably complicated. And it is the use of toric lenses in eyes w- with surfaces that are not regular, and I mean specifically keratoconus, uh, but also uh, eyes that are status post-penetrating keratoplasty, eyes that are status post-radial keratotomy. And the reason that I see this as something that is so complicated is, sure, with keratoconus, we can do topography and we can see maps that, that show cylinder. But to what extent do these diagnostics tell us what's going on in some sort of a, of a regular topographic way within the visual axis that we can actually remedy? Well, thank you for inviting me, uh, Josh. Well, actually, yeah, the topography and tomography, these are the, um, the main parameters that we can choose uh, toric lenses uh, to correct. We know that toric lenses work very well in eyes with uh, regular and symmetric astigmatism. The question mm-hmm. is, would it work also for irregular and, and asymmetrical astigmatism? And um, uh, it can do, if, it, if you can identify um, the axis, a clear axis of astigmatism in eyes, which you cannot identify an axis, these are not good candidates. But if, you, if there is some regularity and there's some symmetry, then you can correct to some extent. This is not perfect, not as good as we see with eyes with perfectly uh, symmetrical and uh, regular le- corneas, but to some extent it can. And uh, we looked at uh, literature and we did our own study and uh, uh, the results are, are, are quite good. I mean, we, uh, our study was on 24 eyes of uh, 17 patients. So the average age was 60 and the astigmatism was ranging between 
two and four to five diopters of astigmatism, which were uh, mild to, to moderate astigmatism. And uh, uh, with um, toric lenses, we could uh, correct them to about, uh, leaving it about uh, from three diopters of astigmatism to about one diopter of astigmatism. So it's not perfect, not as good, but with contact lenses, uh, patients should not be expect to be spectacle independent, usually. But the results are very good. Uh, about 92% uh, of these uh, patients uh, have uh, 2040 vision, that means driving visions, and about 80% of them can drive even without glasses. So results are, are really good, at least in this subgroup of uh, mild to moderate corticonus. Uh, now, now, as you know, uh, the, the manifest cylinder that these patients want uh, and the, the topographies rarely exactly match up. Once you've identified the, the axis, how do you choose how much of the cylinder you want to try to correct with the toric lens? Okay, uh, if you have a low amount of uh, astigmatism and if it, this is a clear astigmatism, you can correct it almost to zero to complete uh, uh, toricity. But uh, uh, if you are not sure if it is, uh, uh, especially with the posterior astigmatism, if it, is, uh, uh, if it is significant or if it is an eye or irregular astigmatism, usually we undercorrect them. And we undercorrect between 0.5 to 1 uh, diopter. So we know we leave some, but we are on a little bit more conservative and, and uh, uh, we feel safer with uh, this eyes. Um. For, for for the patient, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, and what I'm saying is this, this is the same result as we got in our studies, and it's the same with the other studies. So now it's a cumulative of uh, a few tens of, of cases, uh, and, and it does work. So toric lenses are effective in mild to moderate um, corticonus. For the patients whose manifest axes don't line up, uh, aren't completely different, but don't line, line up with the topographic axis. At what axis do you put the toric lens? Well, we do try to, uh, if you don't line it up uh, with um, with a clear axis of the patient, then you may end up with even making things worse. So these may not be very good candidates and contact lenses should be much better. So you do need to have an identifiable, clear axis of where you need to put uh, um, the IOL. Now, uh, these are for the, the, the patients with keratoconus. What about the patients who are post-penetrating keratoplasty uh, for whom the, um, the aberrations can be really huge? Okay, this is by far much more difficult because uh, um, PKP patients are typically irregular and asymmetrical. So they may not be good candidates and the astigmatism can go up five, six, seven, even 10 diopters of uh, astigmatism. Uh, it's the same principle. If you, if you can identify a clear uh, um, axis of astigmatism, you can correct in part. Usually you are go down from seven to two diopters, so 1.5 diopters of astigmatism, but you can correct it significantly, and also the visual acuity, the corrected visual acuity, can be good in many of these cases. If you cannot identify if it is irregular, you cannot correct irregular asymmetrical astigmatism with a regular lens, IOL. So, uh, and one other point, uh, problem is that uh, these uh, eyes may need regrafting in some cases. 
So uh, and you don't want to have a regraft on an eye with a toric IOL in the bag because then you, you may make things even worse. So uh, um, one good idea is uh, to use a piggy bag add-on toric lenses. That means that you have the uh, spherical component within the bag and then on top of it the toric lens uh, as a piggy bag as an add-on lens. And uh, if PKP, repeated PKP is needed, then you can just take off the toric uh, lens. Uh, otherwise, if you can have uh, uh, only clear astigmatism, then can do if you need to have a good uh, endothelial cell count and make sure that this is not an eye which is uh, uh, a potential con uh, candidate for regrafting. Now, the, the, the radial keratotomy eyes are pretty much all highly, highly multifocal corneas. How do you uh, make, make sense the, of it to the... the this the is the worst. This, this yeah. is the worst scenario. Uh, RKS eyes, uh, most surgeons would be reluctant uh, uh, to use toric lenses for this eye because these are really irregular. You, can, you cannot identify the axis. So unless this is a really uh, mild case with a clear astigmatism, which is uh, clearly identifiable, then uh, uh, probably one should not use toric lens for, for RKS. There are some uh, studies with uh, UGA artisan lenses, for example, but uh, otherwise uh, um, there are very few studies, and uh, um, I think that this may not be a very good idea for our case. So the, the, what I'm what I'm taking home from this is is that in keratoconus, it's something that in the right context can be of value as long as we are conservative and as long as the patients are counseled properly. Uh, but uh, it's not uh, universal that uh, we that we can correct. we can use this uh, tool. I, I want to thank you very much for bringing this interesting topic to us, for making everything so clear, and uh, for being so very generous with your time with us today, Ehud. Thank you very much. I'm here with Jeffrey Whitman. Jeffrey, there there, there are there are patients who come to me for a cataract surgery that I say, you know, the refraction that I predict is most likely what you're going to get. There are other patients, let's say, post-LASIK or post-PRK patients who don't have any old records, who I say, I think I may get pretty close, but I don't know. And then there are radial keratotomy patients who come in uh, for whom I say, I'll be delighted if you can see after the surgery. Um, you have taken on this challenge and uh, you give a wonderful talk, and your results are, are, are spectacular. But why don't you sort of lay the, the, the scenery out for us, and then we can talk about it in a little bit more detail. Well, and by the way, part of the reason I want to solve the problem, we did over 15,000 RK in our practice. And people always say RK is the gift that keeps on giving, and, <laughs> and, and, and I'll agree with that. Uh, so what we did is we uh, took 37 consecutive uh, patients. So we weren't really trying to cherry pick in, in, any patients in particular. Uh, all these patients, uh, I would say the majority of them had drifted plus, so the average was about plus half to plus two in, uh, in terms of uh, mean spherical equivalent. And we had RK cuts going from four RK cuts to 18 RK, 18 RK cuts, and the average probably was about eight, eight RK cuts. So uh, we think that this was a pretty good sampling uh, of, of patients. And what are, we wanted to be consistent in how we treated them. Uh, if they had, uh, they had standard, and this was traditional lens cataract surgery, 80% uh, of them uh, received a uh, Bauchelom LI61AO uh, three-piece silicone lens. 20% received an Acrios uh, uh, hydrophilic uh, uh, acrylic uh, one-piece lens. And 
we did four cuts and eight cut surgeries were the majority of these. So for four cuts, we always placed in between clear cornea in between uh, two of the incisions. Eight cuts, always a scleral incision in between two incisions. It's much easier to split an eight cut incision, so it's important to go back in the sclera so you have a roof of sclera. And for calculating the lens implant, I think that's pretty critical is, you know, what, what do you use and particularly what do you use for central case? Uh, we've tried many things over the years, and we use our uh, orb skin for the topos. We use uh, Lenstar for our uh, axial length. And then for our central K, we actually use the ISIS ERP value developed by uh, Jack Holiday, And that gives us a good central K. There are other formulas you can use in terms of Pentacam, Pentacam central K, uh, Zeiss, uh, three-ring average. Uh, these all get pretty close, but we've had best luck with the ISIS ERP value. And you plug that into uh, Holiday 2, and we think it's very important to use the Holiday 2 formula for this. And the why, why is that? Tell me. Well, uh, part of it is the way that it uses the K value. And uh, we've tried many different formulas, and this seems to work the best for us. And I received some guidance many years uh, ago on this from Warren Hill, who I believe is, you know, re re really gets the idea of trying to get the best results possible. And, you know, I've tried to refine this over time. So that works very well for us. In fact, what we saw at uh, our, our final goals were uncorrected uh, distance vision going from 2070 to 2029. So excellent uncorrected distance yeah, vision. Yeah, fantastic. We, uh, again, we talked about that these patients were plus to begin with. We shoot for a minus a half on holiday two because we know we're going to get some drift. And in fact, at that four to six month period, our average spherical, mean spherical equivalent was 0.19. So it's very small, but it was a little plus. Yeah, about uh, plus point seven more than you than your target on paper was exactly, and yeah. so I think always shooting a little minus on these patients is great because some of them will continue to drift. Yeah, and, and I and I wonder too whether it. it I mean, the, first of all, the only thing that matters is what works, and what you did works, and uh, and it's genius because with these patients, I mean, they're 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 such. They have such highly multifocal corneas that choosing any lens is very, very difficult. So, I mean, you're uh, many kudos for for getting things right. I I wonder if they were uh, more hyperopic than they appeared on paper, not because the uh, cornea value wasn't right, but because using uh, a, a regular theoretic lens formula with a flattened cornea and a long eye is going to put the effective lens position further forward in the eye exactly. than, than these patients actually have. I think that all these things figure into that, and I think that you, you try to, and that's why we've settled on minus a half. That's worked well for yeah. us. In fact, I think with four and eight cut RKs, we actually get a little closer, I think, than uh, our hyperopic, post-hyperopic LASIK patients. Uh, and that says a lot because these, these are interesting eyes once they've had yeah. RK. It'd be interesting actually to go back and study to see how they do it intermediate and close up because they, you know, we know RK gives them an, uh, an uh, extended depth of focus. Yeah. And a lot of these patients say they can read. We, uh, we yeah. maybe reserve that for another study, but it's very interesting. You know, we always knew it coupled well with crystal lens uh, because it has the monofocal center. Mm -hmm. And you take that extended depth of focus, mix it with the small amount of accommodation you get from the crystal lens, 
boom, it's, it's a home run most of the time for near and intermediate as well as their distance. Really, really, really interesting stuff. Um, Jeffrey, first of all, I want to thank you very much for, 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 you know, for, for doing this study, for bringing this, this, this to us. Uh, it's, it's beyond practical, I mean, because we, we see these patients. Um, and, and I want to thank you mostly for being so very generous with your time with us today. No, I'm very pleased to be here. And uh, it's been a really good conference here in Los Angeles. 100%. Ehud Asia is professor of ophthalmology at the Tel Aviv University Medical School in Tel Aviv, Israel. Jeffrey Whitman comes to us from Dallas, Texas. Ask questions of Dr. Asia, Dr. Whitman, or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.